KYW Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One. And I remember getting booed off the field in Philadelphia. I look back on this, I remember thinking at the time, like, this is awesome. This is Philly. This is, I'm one of these fans. Like, I would be doing the same thing. It was so loud in the stands. The boos were so loud. And I just remember going back up to the car being like, what are the chances that I get on my first major league home run in Philly and I get thrown out of my first game of my life in Philadelphia? And our guest this week, a former star baseball player at Father Judge High School at Thomas Jefferson University, went on to pitch in the major leagues with the Toronto Blue Jays, Bob File. Bob, thanks so much for taking the time. Sure, man. Anytime. So let's kind of start. What are you doing these days uh, with baseball in the rearview mirror? Well, I mean, you know, these days I'm, I'm back in my computer engineering, using my computer science degree. I'm working in the... Uh, pharmaceutical life science space, working in clinical trials, and uh, just kind of doing a lot of different uh, different things in that space, just uh, kind of utilize, utilizing my nerd skills these days rather than uh, my athletic skills. Was this always the direction you saw yourself going after baseball? Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, one of the key decisions before I went to then Philadelphia College of Textiles and Science, now Jefferson University, was the fact that I was going in as a computer science major and uh, all through high school I, I studied computer programming quite thoroughly so I knew it was the wave of the future and I my my academics were always first came first before I went to school um, I was I was mostly on an academic scholarship to Philadelphia Textile at the time rather than athletic and um, things changed a little bit once I got to school and athletics became in the in the forefront but I always got graduated in four years and that, that was always a key key thing for me and my family my mother especially was was keen on academics and um yeah so ultimately i was like pure science nerd first and then athlete second what's your earliest baseball memory when do you first remember the sport coming into your life earliest memory probably i mean looking back probably around four or five years old i know um growing up in mayfair small part of philadelphia uh family didn't have much money and uh, my aunt was my aunt helen brought me a baseball glove because we couldn't afford any my aunt bought me a baseball glove and said, you're going to play baseball. And my dad was like, yeah, you are. And uh, right around four or five, I started playing at the local athletic club, Mayfair AC Athletic Club down in Tarsdale and um, Cobham Avenue, a little park there. Still exists today. And uh, that's, where, that's where all the memories started. When do you start to realize you're pretty good? You know, it's tough. It's, it's like it's one of those things where, especially growing up in, a, in the northeast part of the country where baseball is, I would say, maybe at that time was pretty pretty – pretty up there in terms of sports and popularity, but at the same time, football and basketball have always ruled the Northeast and baseball in terms of, you know, evaluation in town evaluators and, and kind of like learning like there is today. It was a lot different. I mean, we played for everybody's mom and dad, coached the teams and you kind of learn from their experience of watching the Phillies on TV. And I mean, I was always a good athlete, had a good arm, played shortstop, pitched a little bit in little league and um, kind of just, you know, came up the ranks through through little league the local little league and i mean i was always a good player made all-star teams and things like that but uh never in my wildest dreams would i think of going even to college on any type of baseball scholarship when does that first though start to become something you start to think is possible are you well on your way in high school yeah yeah i think um ultimately my sophomore year of high school i started playing some varsity games 
Um, and then junior year, I, I kind of was a late bloomer, came into my own probably a little late in junior year, um, having been like a second female Catholic my junior year, wasn't getting a lot of looks. The Division one schools kind of do their recruiting for uh, high school juniors. So I wasn't getting too many looks then. And then my senior year is when really had a breakout season at shortstop, uh, won the Catholic League MVP, and then some 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 schools were looking at me. Uh, some D1 schools locally late were looking, like Temple. Um, and I was interested in LaSalle at the time. But uh, Philadelphia College Textiles and Science and Don Flynn, who was been around baseball forever, he had he had come to me, a small Division two school, and uh, offered me some scholarship money. And I'd already applied there, as well as a couple of other local schools. And, you know, it turned out that, okay, I can get some academic money and also athletic money. So, and they had a good computer science program, good engineering department, and it was a, it was a good fit. So, and I, I figured, and one thing I still say today is I had a chance to play every day. If I would have went to Temple or LaSalle or Villanova or any of these local schools, I don't know, being such a late bloomer, I don't know if I would have, and not, I wouldn't have been on scholarship at those schools. I, I don't know if I would have played from my freshman and sophomore year. So at Philly Textile, I had a chance to play every single day, all four years. And that turned out to be a blessing in disguise. And you focused, at least early on your career, on being an infielder, correct? Third baseman? Yeah, yeah. Philly Textile, it's funny. I went into Philly Textile. It was a shortstop in high school, and Don Flynn envisioned me as a middle infielder. But uh, Jesse Bowser at the time was a shortstop, pretty well-known Philadelphia um, AD at Chestnut Hill Academy right now. And um, he he tried me at second base for a little bit. I've actually played second for the first part of my freshman year. Um, and that that – that was kind of, you know, I had a really strong arm and the, and the, the freshman playing third base was more of a more of a middle infielder, especially at second base than I was. So we kind of switched midway through the season. I played third, he played uh, second, and then the rest is history. I played third the rest of the time uh, at FLU. You have incredible success with the Rams. I mean, the numbers are, are just eye-popping. Are you thinking there's a chance to get drafted as your years go on? I mean, for me, everything. I mean, I, I'm pretty, pretty humble in the regard that I always thought I could get better and better and better. I never thought I was good enough, um, which is a good, it turned out to be a good thing in a lot of ways. Um, but I think it's tough because, like, of course, like my dad, of course, he thought I was getting drafted every year. Um, but for me, it wasn't until maybe my junior year where I started to get some looks from scouts. But knowing it's a Division II school in the Northeast, but our conference was really strong for Division II. I mean, now it's the Northeast 10 where most of those schools went to. Um, they, they've since changed conferences. But I think for me, you know, you have the hope, but you're only as good as, you know, the players around you, the players in the league. And, yeah, I stood out amongst my team in the, in the league. But I knew in the back of my mind that there's still – I mean, how many Division One schools out there with great athletes? And then there's Division Two schools down south. I mean, there's so many great players across the country. The chances of getting, you know, picked up in the major league draft are so, so slim. And I knew that at the time. So I really just continue to keep my head down, work hard, and um, hope for the best as a third baseman. Um, but I knew that my chances are really slim. What was it like, though, when you first – scouts first say hi to you or you you can tell people are there watching you specifically i mean even if you think it's remote that's got to be pretty cool yeah it's, it's i mean we would go down to florida every spring we go to florida we play some really top-notch division two teams down there and uh, of course there's scouts down there because i mean the southern i mean the southern league down there 
with the likes of like Rollins College and Florida Southern and Florida Tech. I mean, these guys, I mean, it's, oh, it's, they, they would probably compete highly against most of the Division One schools across the country. But um, so there, I got some looks down there, especially at my junior year. And you had some, some of the scouting bureau come talk to you after games. And Coach Flynn, Don Flynn, was very pretty much well connected in, the, in, the, in, in that in those uh, circles just because he played professionally for a lot of years. So he would introduce me to different people. And it's just, it was, it was pretty cool. I mean, but at the time you're just, you're just a college kid. You don't know any better. And you think, wow, they're looking at me. I must be, you know, I'm definitely, I'm, I might get picked up. I might get drafted. And um, that's not always the case. I mean, knowing full circle what I know now, um, it's pretty amazing that I did get picked up out of a division two school, but at the same time, as we'll sure we'll talk about it, it wasn't as a third baseman. So um, ultimately, I think, you know, having success, it, it drove confidence. It gave me momentum to do better and better and work harder because I knew that there was a possible opportunity there. So it kind of drives drives me to do, you know, work that much harder. But at the same time, I was I was pretty realistic um, about the about the chances. And you mentioned one of the interesting parts of your story and you talk about it after your junior year, you start to really get attention. And then your senior year is, is one for the ages. I don't care where you're playing. I don't care who you're playing against. I think you, you hit 542. I'm pretty sure that led the world that year, right? Like there was in college baseball, that was the, the best, uh, yeah. 90 hits, 63 runs, 68 runs batted in 19 homers, 167 total bases. And this is, what are you? What are we talking? Forty-five games, fifty? Forty, forty-three games, I believe it was. Forty-three year. games. Forty-three. I mean, mm-hmm. that, those numbers are obscene. And you also was your senior year when you started to to pitch a little bit as well. Yeah, well, junior year, um, we had a couple guys go down with injuries, and in the Division Two school. I always try, try to explain to people how it happened. Um, the fact that I never pitched in high school, and I get to college, and I don't pitch my first two years, and then my junior year. We had a couple guys go down with injury in a Division II school in the Northeast. You're not going to have a lot of arms, so you have a lot of two-way players. And um, some of our best pitchers, but best arms went down. So I volunteered as a junior with a good arm that you know I could pitch some inner squad, I could pitch some weekday games if needed. So Coach Flynn, being a pitcher in his professional career, saw some things too, and he said, "Okay, I'll bring you in to close some games out, like when we need an arm late, like one or two innings to you know finish some games during the week, especially these nine-inning games during the week where we're short on arms." So I pitched some games that year, my junior year, and got a couple saves, you know, did pretty well. Basically had no clue what I was doing, just just worked, just kind of threw hard and had some movement, um, had a pretty decent slider. And um, then my senior year, Coach Flynn had asked me if I wanted to we – needed, we needed another arm on the weekend games, We didn't, and we needed a, a third pitcher. So he said, would you mind starting, you know, six, seven games this year on the weekends because we need a good arm. I think you can keep us in the games and keep us competitive and, you know, We'll see where it goes, and that's kind of how I started pitching my senior year, and and how everything started to fall. The dominoes really started to fall. Was there a moment when, because your offensive numbers are just so mm-hmm. eye popping, so I am assuming there has to be a watershed moment where the right person sees you throwing mm-hmm. in the right game that that <laughs> shifts it in that direction. Am I am I correct? Yeah, right. I mean. There was a couple of things that made the stars align here because being a textile, you know, we don't have you know hundreds of scouts coming to games all the time. We had we had a couple of things going for us. We had a left-handed pitcher, Sean Babula, who played about 13 years professionally. He was he was our ace, so he pitched the first game of a doubleheader that Saturday. I would pitch the second game of the doubleheader because it was seven innings. So scouts were there to see him. 
scouts were there to see me because my numbers started to really pop and I was hitting so well that they were just curious, all right, who is this guy? And we're going to continue to watch him. So they would watch, and then I was pitching that second game. So some scouts would just, you know, take it all in. Just they're, they're there. They might as well pull a gun out on me and try to see, you know, what's he throwing? And ultimately, after one of my games uh, pitched, I pitched all seven innings. I think I threw like 140 pitches or something crazy. And uh, there was two scouts there, Ben McClure from the Blue Jays and, and a scout from the Cardinals. I forget his name, but uh, they had both said that my last pitch, my 140th pitch was 94 miles an hour. And Ben McClure was like, I think we might look at you more as a pitcher than a third baseman. And I was just like, oh, hey, you know, being a college senior, whatever, whatever it takes to, you know, get an opportunity. I was all, I was all about it. And uh, they continued to come and more and more scouts continued to come watch me pitch the rest of that year, as well as play the field and hit. And um, so ultimately that's, that's where the, the, the pitching angle came from all this. It was, it was really the Blue Jays and Cardinals kind of noticing it. And then the other teams coming on board and starting to interview me after games, trying to get, you know, signability and all that and try to talk about, you know, are you interested in this, this, and this? What do you know about this? They kind of start to pick your brain a little bit, see what kind of competitor you are and see if, uh, you know, take a flyer on this Division Two guy, maybe, maybe possibly in the draft. And I know, like you said, you're a college senior, you're willing to do anything. Is there a part of you that's, that's kind of like, as all these guys are talking to you about pitching, that's like, you know, I'm leading the country and I'm hitting over 500, right? Yeah, it's um, at the time, yes, for sure. Um, and Ben McClure came after the draft. I wound up getting drafted in the 19th round that June. Ben McClure came to my house and talked to us. And he did say, you know, I was I was marked down as a third baseman in the draft. And he did say that, you know, I might get out to rookie ball and might pitch. Is that okay? And I'm like, of course. You know, I just said, okay. But part of me is like, all right, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll see how it goes. And, you know, not knowing anything at the time, they'll just let me hit too. I, I had no idea. So, um but little did I know, I would go like 3,000 miles away from home and uh, be sitting in the bullpen, <laughs> never picking up a bat for another seven years. <laughs> so you mentioned the 19th round. What was draft day like? I mean, this is 1998. It's not the, the mm-hmm. cable TV you know showcase that we're used to, uh, well, prior to the pandemic. But so mm-hmm. what did you pay attention? Were you just kind of hoping the phone rang? Do you remember that day vividly? Of course. Yeah, I was at my parents' house. I mean, sitting on the couch, mom and dad, and we're just sitting there. And uh, obviously, there. I mean, this is prior to cell phones too. I mean, even though it's only 1998, it's uh, we're sitting there waiting for the landline to ring. And the, the the draft used to be 25 rounds day one, 25 rounds day two. So I'm thinking, I'm just not if I'm going to get a call at all. I mean, me with my pessimistic self, this is like it's not going to be till the second day, at least. And my dad's like, "Oh, you get a call first round." today i'm like get out of here <laughs> um so ultimately we did get a call that that day from ben mcclure this the the, the the area scout and he uh he gave the news that it was the 19th round as as a third baseman slash pitcher and um, that he would uh come out to sign sign the contract next week and looks like i'd be going out to medicine hat alberta to start my professional career before we talk about the baseball and you mentioned three thousand miles away as a, what, 22, 21, 22-year-old kid? 21. 21. I mean, yep. mm-hmm. medicine had Alberta, not quite northeast Philadelphia. Was there culture shock? What was it like? Yeah, it was – It was. A fir- I always say I wish I played in medicine hat after a couple of years of professional baseball because it was a great city, 
great people, really cool place to go to, a really cool league to play in, the Pioneer League, which was all over the you know, parts of the country I probably will never go out to again. Um, but being your first professional season, not knowing anything, coming from a small Division II school um, and playing with the likes of, you know, guys going, went to Florida State, Stanford, great baseball schools with great facilities. Um, it was it was a tiny town. I had to live with a host family after living on my own at college. That was that was an adjustment. It was it was tough. It was it was really tough. Um, the baseball was the outlet. I mean, thank God, I'm in professional baseball, really twenty four seven of your time is spent with baseball people and baseball only. So there's not much time to get into anything else if you're if you're smart about it and you want to make it to the big leagues. Um, so ultimately, yeah, it was it was an adjustment for sure. But at the same time, having grown up in Philly. It really helped me helped me catapult my career forward because um, the grit grit and work ethic that kind of is instilled in, in you growing up in Philadelphia kind of really really helps you and especially in the minor league uh, the minor league lifestyle. So you're three thousand miles away doing playing baseball but not doing mm-hmm. what you're really used to and for the most part as a senior you had been starting and they put you in the bullpen. How is mm-hmm the baseball adjustment to the, the, from the time you realize, all right, I'm going to be a pitcher and Mm. you're coming out of the pen. The tough thing for me was um, just getting adjusted to not playing every day. Um, That was, that was really hard at first, especially on the rookie ball in the, in the pioneer league. It was was a lot of younger guys playing out there, even though we had some college college kids on the team. Um, It was a lot of like 16, 17 year old Latin, Latin American kids, uh, from Dominican and Venezuela that, you know, really raw players, great athletes, but really raw. So I would see, you know, guys swinging out, swinging, striking out of pitches. And I'm, I'm thinking, and I'm like, not knowing how things operate completely. Just like, I didn't understand the big picture yet that I, I'm like, I'm sitting in the bullpen, not doing much. And um, I'm a 19th round draft pick. So my opportunities are going to be limited. So I knew in my mind, my analytical computer nerd mind that I knew from day one that when I got an opportunity, I had to, I had to shine above and beyond in terms of on paper, in terms of statistics, because otherwise I'll never get noticed. I'll never move up the chain. And that was a goal of mine just to, when I got the opportunity, I had, I had to be dominant. I mean, I was the only way. And, and thank God I had the season, um, my first season that I, that I did, because I always say like, if I had some really rough outings, my first season, I don't know that lifestyle, how long I would have been able to deal with that because um, my success kind of, again, my gaining momentum to catapult me forward through my minor league career. And uh, that first year was key having that type of success I did. And the success, 1.41 ERA, uh, 24 hits allowed in 32 innings, you had 16 saves. Do you even know what you're doing as far as pitching? Or are you still basically just throwing hard, slider with two strikes and, you Mm -hmm. know, yeah, I mean, a combination of both. I mean, having pitched a lot outside of high school, I didn't pitch in high school, but I pitched a lot in like, you know, rec teams. So I, I knew how to handle myself on a pitch, at least from a from like a 16 year old mind. Um, but ultimately, I, I always say my my analytical thinking mind helped me and, and being a hitter my whole life helped me a ton because I know how hitters think and I knew how I thought as a hitter. And I think part of it was a lot of throwing. I had a lot of movement on the sinker. I had a two-seam fastball that was, you know, had, had good late movement. So that helped me. Any mistakes I made my first couple seasons would get, you know, beat into the ground sometimes. It would, they weren't getting hit out of the park. And then I uh, just worked up my slider. I, I learned a lot 
as is the case throughout every level and in the big league, you learn a lot from your fellow teammates more than anyone else. When any coach, you just talk to each other. You're, you're spending 24-7 with these guys seven days a week, and you just talk about baseball all the time, and you just learn. Like, I got to learn from guys that played, you know, at some of the best schools in the country, and they had baseball IQ that was well above what I thought was possible. And so it kind of just taking in that knowledge, kind of learning every day, every outing, every outing, just getting opportunity to close games. That was a, that was an adjustment playing in front of fans that even like great falls, Montana, they would have 10, 15,000 fans every game. And I, I mean, you know, Philadelphia textile Jefferson university, we're lucky to get 30 fans at a game at alumni field. So I had never played in front of crowds like that. So I, and I felt it exhilarating. It was great. Um, but nerve wracking too. So I think it was a combination of things, um, kind of some luck involved too, of course, and just knowing how to, uh, just using using the mental side of the game to kind of help help me to my advantage, knowing how hitters think. That was the biggest thing that kind of got me through that. Um, otherwise, it was just a lot of throwing too. <laughs> so then the next year, did you you skip the level because you went up the high A the next year, Dunedin, right? Yeah, I actually skipped two. I well I skipped two levels because I knew coming back to spring training. That's when that's when I really started to focus on learning pitching. I mean, that off season, I, I was telling a, a friend of mine the other day, uh, we were talking on a podcast. I still have the books on my bookshelf that I bought. I went out and bought, because the internet wasn't as vast with knowledge as it is today. I bought Nolan Ryan's Pitching Bible. I bought the ABC's of Pitching. I bought the complete guide, complete book of pitching. I bought all these pitching books and I still have them. And I just tore through those, try to learn everything possible I could about just the mental aspects of pitching. I mean, mechanically, I threw the way I threw. And I always say mechanics, not every pitcher is cookie cutter. You can't do it all the same thing. I mean, there's some basics that you can kind of tune up, but for the most part, um, the mental side is going to carry you forward. And I knew that coming in to spring training the following year, my age, the way they stacked the minor leagues, I knew a lot more about the system and how it worked now that I knew I was going to try to jump a level. If I could make the Dunedin team, because there was short season St. Catharines, that was another team. Then there was Hagerstown, Maryland, which is the low, long, Long, low A, long season, and then there was Dunedin, the high A. If I could get on that Dunedin team, because I started spring training with that, they always stack players on these minor league teams according to age, not necessarily skill. And I was put on the Dunedin team in spring training to practice with them. And um, I knew if I could do really well there that maybe with my age, it would give me a shot to make that team because I had such a good year prior to. And um, lucky enough, that's what happened. And, I, and then once I made Dunedin, I knew – I knew it could possibly get real because I was now playing with guys my age and I knew I was on track now, like I wasn't behind and I wasn't going to get lost in the minor leagues. And that was, that was key. What was all those books you read, all that knowledge you took in, what was the biggest lesson you learned? I guess the biggest thing was probably, um, had Nolan Ryan's, uh, pitching Bible was key because I'd always pitched in, I've always preached pitching inside and especially with it being a sinker baller to right-handed hitters, but his, his philosophy on pitching in and which, which that's another story of how it exists in the game today, but um, just making hitters uncomfortable. And I knew from being a hitter that if, if a guy came in hard on me and moved my feet or hit me, you're uncomfortable. I don't care if the ball is coming at 70 miles an hour. If you're, if you're not feeling totally comfortable in there, you really can't get those arms extended and really drive the ball and I knew if I could, you could have a persona. I always told kids I coach and stuff now today, you can have a persona on the mound of anything you want. And you could be feared on the mound, even though that might not be you as a person, but you can have this persona that 
you know, if hitters fear you, if hitters fear coming inside hard on them, they're going to be a little, you're going to have the advantage. And I think um, having that mental advantage over hitters is, is so key. And um, I think I built a, I built, I built a, uh, a reputation of that throughout the minor leagues. Once I was closing in the minor leagues and I, I was not afraid to hit anyone, at least to come in hard, not hit anyone on purpose, but coming really hard on anyone. Um, and I think having that thought in the hitter's mind that I might come in really hard on them kind of really, that was the biggest thing I got from Nolan Ryan's book was that he was, he would always pitch inside really, really effectively. And for a guy who didn't grow up pitching, you threw a ton of strikes. You didn't walk guys like Mm -hmm. to what do you attribute that? Is that in the aggressive mindset of I'm just, here it is. Let's go to work and let's hit it. Yeah, I kind of I kind of teach the same thing today when I work with guys. Um, my whole philosophy. Somebody said it to me when I was playing in the Toronto system. It might have been Paul Quantrill, because when we were in minor leagues, some of the big league guys would come down and kind of like. And Paul Quantrill was always really good to me from from I mean when my Dunedin days. And uh, he always said that he had one pitch, a sinker, and everything else was just show. And he said if 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 you get in trouble, he's like just always throw the sinker right down the middle. He's like, what's the worst going to happen? Even in the big leagues, he's like, hitters aren't going to rally off seven, eight hits in a row. Rarely ever. You're going to have good defense behind you at the professional level. They're going to make plays on ground balls. And that was my philosophy. Like, if, if I would throw strike one with a sinker, the worst thing they could do is to the base hit. I mean, occasionally you would give up occasional double or an extra base hit. But for the most part, the odds are in your favor. And if you remember that as a pitcher, because I think sometimes pitchers get a little too, you know, they think they give the hitter too much credit. And they think, okay, the hitter's going to, you know, get a hit if I throw the ball right down the middle. And the case is that, you know, you know, you know how it is. Nobody's ever hit, what, 400 in the big leagues? I mean, that's four hits every 10 at bat. So you figure the odds are in your favor. That's, again, back to the analytical side of the game, just understanding the odds. It's like playing blackjack and chess. And so I, that's what I kind of did. I kind of just attacked hitters right down the – really. And I, had, and, I, and I had the advantage of movement on my sinker. So, so if it was really, you know, belt high, it would have some movement. So it, it was hard to barrel up my fastball when I was at my prime. So that, that helped too. So I had some luck involved there. But for the most part, it was, you know, let them hit it. Especially at the, at the uh, professional level, they, I mean, they want to they swing the bat. They don't want to walk. And um, that was key. I mean, that was, that was really key. Just, just try not to walk anybody. And that's what, if you look at Paul Quantrill's career, he was, I mean, he made a living on not walking anyone. And that was uh, that was some great advice. So you had the year at Dunedin. The next year, you split double and triple A. So three years into your professional career, I think you have 70 saves and a sub-2 ERA. So we come to 2001. Are you looking at 2001? I'm ready, and this mm. is my time. If I'm going to break through into the big leagues, this is it. I, it's still – I mean, when you're in the minor leagues, at least and, – and, it's still so far-fetched. I mean, the chances of making it to the big leagues, even once you're in the minor leagues, is so, so, so slim that you, it just seems like a far-fetched dream. So you just keep working, working, working. But at the same time, once you get to double A, and that's when you start to realize if you have success at double A, that's when you start to realize, like, okay, they're, they're looking now. Now they're looking at, they're looking at, okay, who's having success? Who can help the big league team? And for me, at double A, I was, I was having a lot of success. And then I started to have some bad luck right towards before I got called up to AAA, actually. And I, I think that's part of the reason I got called up because I was doing so well. And then all of a sudden there was, you know, I was blowing saves on like, you know, blooper hits. Like it wasn't even, it was just like some bad luck and some bad pitching. 
and and I was just like I was hitting some adversity, and um and then they decided to move me to Triple A, um, which was interesting at the time because I was shocked that I was getting promoted after a couple bad outings. But um I got promoted to Triple A, and what happened to me, which what talk about lightning striking and uh, striking the bottle. I mean, Matt DeWitt was closing in AAA, and he had a line drive. My second game, third game there, he had a line drive hit back on him and broke his leg, and he had to be put on the disabled list. So they decided to put me in a closer role at AAA, which would have never happened if Matt didn't break his leg. So ultimately, I had a chance to close games, which I was comfortable doing. And even though they were much, you know, a higher level of hitters, I just continued to do what I was doing in AA, just the same kind of, you know, Hard sinkers in, hard sinkers away, sliders down in, sliders away. And it worked because they didn't know me. They didn't know what I had. And um, ultimately, I got a lot of saves in a short amount of time. So on paper, it looked – it was eye-popping. So that's when, you know, the big league team started to notice. And that, that fall, I played in the Arizona Fall League and then was put on the 40-man roster and uh, ultimately um, had a chance to make the team the next spring. Time for a break on one-on-one. We will have more with Bob File coming up right after this. Hey, everybody. It's Cherry Gregg here. You may know me around town as KYW News Radio's community affairs reporter. But every week, I produce and host Flashpoint, a podcast where we highlight the hot topics in Philadelphia, local newsmakers and changemakers burning things up in our region. From gerrymandering to gender equality and policing in schools, we'll walk you through the flames on Flashpoint. It's available wherever you downloaded this podcast that you're listening to now. So subscribe. Thanks so much. And we are back on One on One. Our guest this week, former father judge and Jefferson University baseball star Bob File. You made the, the, the Blue Jays out of spring training. What Was there a conversation you made it, or was it just nobody's come to talk to me? I still have a locker, and they're giving me the time to get on the plane. Yeah, it's kind of strange. I mean, the, the, the team at the time, and it's funny, I keep, I keep in touch with some of those guys from that 2001 team because they were – Blue Jays were pretty competitive for the pennant um, the years leading up to 2001, especially in 2000. Um, they were in it late. And uh, and they just got a new manager, Buck Martinez. Jim Fergozzi was a manager prior. And uh, ultimately, in spring training, Buck Martinez really uh, had a liking to me, which was good. Because uh, they, I knew something was up when they released John Prescator, who was a pretty stable um, reliever in the big leagues for a lot of years. And had a pretty good spring, and I was shocked they released him and to make a spot for me. And um, nobody really said anything. I, I found out from my minor league, uh, one of my minor league coaches who coached me in A ball and double A, Rocket Wheeler, he had come up and told me um, that I was making the team. And, and it's, it, it was a good thing. And of course, Buck told me and things like that. And, but it's kind of like, okay, this is what's happening. This is, this is the business. And it's not like, you know, no fireworks or anything. You're making the team. And, Act professional on the team, like I said, was a veteran team. I mean, you had like Quantrill, Plezak, Jeff Fry, uh, Mondesi, Tony Fernandez on that team. I mean, these guys have been around forever. So talk about coming in as a rookie. I was the only rookie on the team in the beginning of the year. So I mean, talk about getting hazed. Um, it was it was an interesting season to say the least. And you were on the roster, but you didn't. Make, you you were there for a couple weeks before you pitched. Yeah. Am I correct? Yeah, yeah, it was um, it was kind of a little frustrating. It, at first, it was just you know, it was like the spotlight. I was just amazed at you know the big league. I it, it's so night and day from even AAA that I was just in amazement. At least back then, it was I. I was just amazed at the stadium. I was just amazed at everything. Um, but then ultimately, 
after a week or two, I start to get a little bit frustrated in my mind, like saying, okay, I'm seeing what's out there. I know I'm capable of competing. Why am, and I had a good spring training against a lot of these same players. So why, is, I, why aren't I getting an opportunity to pitch? And um, I wound up having a conversation with Buck Martinez and we, I just asked him, I said, can you just tell me? And he's like, listen, he's like, you're first outing in the big league. You don't know what it's like. He's like, I know what it's like. And I'm going to put you in a position where you don't fall flat on your face. He's like, I just want to let you know that. He's like, you might get frustrated for now, but I'm telling you, I'm setting you up for the rest of your career. And I was like, okay, this guy has been in baseball for what, 30, 40 years, forever. I'm like, he knows what he's talking about. I'll take his word for it. And ultimately, my first outing, he gave me that perfect opportunity, which was which was key. And that debut came April 14th, 2001. Uh, it's in Toronto, I think, against the Royals. And you actually come into a game in the ninth inning, and you guys are mm-hmm. down three. So it's a low-leverage situation. Beyond low-leverage. I mean, it was two outs, nobody on base, and we're down three. And yeah, I was facing the – I forget where he was in the last nine-hole hitter, Mayor Hector Ortiz, the catcher. He was might have been in the nine-hole. So you couldn't pick a less – at home in Toronto. So it's – a less of a pressure situation, which, hey, you know, I was going to opportunity to pitch. So it's funny. I get out there and I'm fine. And I always explain the story. Like, yeah, I got on the mound and the strangest thing happened. I, I, I got really, really nervous. Um, and it, it was just, it's, it's hard to put into words how nervous I got. And I never got nervous like that before in any other outing. And I, I thought to myself, I said, Buck, you were so right about this. I was like, because this is going to be hard to pitch. <laughs> And I remember being like, okay, just muscle memory take over. And Darren Fletcher, Fletcher was catching. He's been around forever. I'm like, I'll just, whatever he puts down, I'm going to throw. And I remember I had, I threw a couple sinkers and I got ahead of the count. And then I wound up breaking his bat on a ground ball to short. And I remember sticking the ground ball went to short. I'm like, okay, Alex Gonzalez is a shortstop. He made the play so easy and smooth. It was like, no problem. And I'm like, okay, I got out of the inning. And I'm like, phew. And then I come to the dugout and, you know, it's typical, you know, get the ball and everything like that. It was a great thing. It was just low pressure situation. And to my surprise, talk about a great memory. Uh, we came back against Roberto Hernandez throwing 100 miles an hour. We came back and scored four runs in the bottom of the ninth, and I got the win after throwing five pitches. <laughs> How? When did you realize you got the win? Like, was that something you're uh, in the clubhouse I was in shock. room? And yeah, no, I was. Um, I actually stayed. I stayed in the dugout because I was just like, I was still kind of like, kind of just dazed and um i remember being in the dugout and we we came back and the first person came over to me cozy Cruz jr came over to me he's like you know you got the win right and he's like you gotta be kidding me and then uh i think jeff fry did the same thing and jeff fry i think he grabbed uh, the shaving cream pie and just smashed it in my face when i was doing an interview after the game and um it was a hell of experience like i really didn't put together that i got the win and it took me a little bit to Kind of comprehend that I got it was I mean the chances I mean come on one hitter five pitches and I get a major league win on my first outing it's just like you know it doesn't get any better than that and then your second outing almost a week later uh you're pitching against a, a pretty good Yankees team and am I correct you basically were the last man standing in the bullpen because it was like uh, a 17 inning game and you just kind of got the ball and had to go I was I was the last guy of course after just having one outing with one hitter, of course, we're facing the Yankees, who I always say um, a couple years prior, we're watching in my dorm room in Philly, Texas. We're watching win like World Series at the World Series. And I'm looking at these guys, and now I'm getting a chance to get in the game in the, uh, I believe it was the 13th inning. And um, I remember warming up, being like, okay, 
who am I facing? And I'm facing like, I don't know who were the righties at the time, but I've faced a couple of righties, which I was comfortable with. But I remember being like, you got to be kidding me with this lineup. I'm like, I'm on the mound facing Knobloch, Jeter, uh, Posada, Justice, Scott Brocious. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking on the mound. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. This is, this is, this is ridiculous. <laughs> I'm like in, in the extra innings and in, in such a pressure pack situation after everybody's arms are, I mean, we're depleted. Um, and ultimately I got, I pitched four innings, which was my longest outing since college. Um, which was crazy. Uh, it was, it was just hell of a memory. That's for sure. And I mean, you were going the second time through that lineup. I mean, what's, mm-hmm. you know, what's that like? Like you're, you're kind of scouting on the run. Like you said, these are guys you watched in your dorm room and you know, the second time you're, you're getting through to them. Uh, what was that like? Yeah, that was the thing. It was, um, it, it's funny because the first time through, I was facing all these power lefties and these, these great lefty hitters like Paul O'Neill, Justice, Posada. I mean, all these lefties that, you know, I was a sinker baller with a, with a pretty decent slider to right-handed hitters. But these, these lefties, I, I threw some occasional backdoor breaking balls. So I told Darren Fletcher in between innings, like, listen, um, start calling backdoor breaking balls on the outer half. Like, call them out there and I'll throw it out there. And this way we can kind of set up some indoor I mean, inside fastballs to some of these lefties because otherwise, you know, my, my repertoire is going to be sinker away and they might ground it out, but they might also hit lasers to the other side. I mean, I mean to me, I mean, Paul O'Neill's a legend. I'm like, I'm talking about giving the hitters too much credit. I'm like giving them all the credit in this situation. So I'm sitting in the dugout talking to Fletcher and Fletcher's, you know, a consummate, I mean, ultimate professional. He's just like, listen, calm down, relax. He's like, you'll, you'll, your stuff, you'll, you'll, you'll dominate these guys. And um, I remember striking out Paul O'Neill on a, on a backdoor breaking ball that was borderline. And looking, and he in Paul O'Neill fashion is throwing stuff, throwing the cooler. I mean, I'm just like on the mound in the back of my head. I'm like, this is awesome. Um, he's he's Paul O'Neill. And little did I know, I would come through that lineup a second time, tie game in the 17th inning. And uh, I had Chuck Knobloch, 0 2, with two outs, nobody on. And I winded up, I remember my, my calf started cramping up a little bit. I was, I was like, oh boy, I haven't pitched this long in, in so long. So I, I threw four straight balls and I walked them. And Knobloch wound up stealing second. Peter hit a base hit, and it was first and third with two outs. And who was up? Paul O'Neill. And I'm like, this is the second time I'm facing him. He didn't go to fall for the backdoor breaking ball again. And, of course, I threw a sinker away, and he just went with it the other way, like a professional hitter does. And instead of trying to pull it, he went with it, sing, uh, single through the left side, and uh, they scored a run. And ultimately wound up getting a loss in the, in the, in the four, 17-inning uh, heartbreak. But, um, but, man, what an experience. What a memory. I mean, looking back on it today. But I, I mean, even though you got the loss, I would imagine that performance in that situation, like Buck Martinez already liked you, but that really, I would think, had to yeah. turn heads that, hey, this kid can handle it. He's a part of the bullpen. He's not the he's not a rookie. He's not a guy we're protecting. Yeah. He's a guy, right? Yeah, it was key. I mean, I was Buck even said to me after the game, he talked to me. He's like, don't worry about the loss. He's like, you prove yourself in more ways than I possibly thought you possibly could. So, I mean, it was, it literally cemented my spot in the bullpen for that year. I mean, it really did. And again, back to my momentum, having that momentum in anything you do, it's like if you have success and you can build off that success and build momentum and just go with that, it's like anything else. I mean, you can really, you know, it can, it can propel your, your confidence forward tremendously. And that's, that's kind of what it did, especially through the first half of the season, um, into the second half, uh, it really, it really helped me think that I could belong. Because having faced those, I mean, it was the top team in the league, in my opinion. And having been able to have success against those guys in those in those innings I pitched, it showed me that okay, I, at least I can hang with these guys. And and you know, it's I'm not just 
you know, flash in the pan um, like I thought I might be. <laughs> and you have a ton of success that season. You settle in. And uh, I would guess one of the other big highlights of that season is mid-July when the Blue Jays come to the vet and play the Phillies, no? Of course. I mean, that's that's the highlight of I mean my professional career, to be quite honest, uh, looking back on it, especially – it was the first series after the All-Star break, so I was I was I was talking about this uh, a few months ago. I, I was able to stay at home with my family during the All-Star break in Philly, and my dad was able to drive me down to the vet to go to games. I mean, to go to work. <laughs> I mean, we used to go to tons of games together, and now he's dropped me off at the visiting clubhouse, and you know, as a player, which was you know crazy at the time. I mean, it really is. It's still to this day is crazy. And uh, having been able to pitch at the vet, I got into two of the three games. Uh, it was just a great, ex- I mean, a, a great experience. Um, even though I gave up my first major league home run at the, at the vet, um, which is, you know, again, what are the chances, right? <laughs> yeah, that was the, the first night you threw a shutout inning or two thirds of a shutout inning. Then the next night, was it Scott Rowland that got you? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you remember? Scott Rowland. Oh, like it was yesterday. I'll never forget it. I mean, I was facing Scott Rowland. I had just come off a series of Montreal before the all-star break where, I always say, like, it, the hitters started to make the adjustment on my pitches a little bit. I noticed it in Montreal where hitters were laying off a couple of my sliders. They were taking my sinker. They were just looking at the video and, and saying, okay, this is what this guy has. Be aware. Where I, up to that point, I was kind of getting away with pitches because hitters didn't know me. And that's the one thing in the big leagues. You had to make the adjustment. And that can be challenging for guys. And um, I remember being in Philly, even at two-thirds the night before, I, I had okay stuff. But I remember being like, oh, I'm just not on my A game. I have to you know, tighten some things up. And I was facing Roland the next night with guys on base. And I remember going 3-2 on Roland. And, and I always say Roland has that swing kind of like Derek Jeter has that short, tight swing, which a sinker baller like me usually has trouble with because they can always get the barrel to the ball somehow. And I knew Roland had that type of swing. And I knew I'd, I would, it would be a challenge for me to pitch to. And um, 3-2, we decided – I kept fouling pitches off. And we decided, okay, let's just pop – we had first base open, I think. And he said – Alberto Castillo called a uh, changeup, which I rarely threw. I threw a, a handful all year. And I said, okay, I'll throw a changeup. Maybe I'll get him off guard. Otherwise, maybe I'll get him to bounce out or something like that, or just walk him. So I threw a changeup, and he was out in his front foot, and he and he crushed it. And I'm looking, I'm watching this ball go, and I, I mean, knowing the dimensions of the vet, knowing the vet, like I my whole life, it hits the foul ball. And I'm like, was that? that hit the foul? And it was a home run. And um, I was just like, I was a little in shock. I was a little, I was pissed. So I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Um, and that was my first home run I gave up all year. And it's uh, off the foul pole, off of one foot, a changeup, my worst pitch. And um, so, yeah, so I remember it like it was yesterday, literally yesterday. I can picture it in my mind. And did you get run me. that game? <laughs> did I get what? Did you get thrown out of that game? I sure did. Well, so the next hitter, I remember like yesterday, uh, Travis Lee came to bat and you know, I know a lot about the Phillies, just being a Phillies fan my whole life. I always followed the Phillies even when I was playing still. Um, and Travis Lee, like I said earlier about pitching inside, he, he I threw a first pitch slider and he took a swing on it so hard and he ripped it down the line and almost hit off the wall and it was foul. I remember thinking to myself, okay, go to back to go back to my learning, go back to how I pitch, go you think take a step back and think for a second. I said he's getting way too comfortable in this box right now because he just saw this home run. And he just took a swing like that on my slider. I said, I, I can't have that. That's how I pitch. So Alberto Castillo knew me up to that point. He caught me a lot during the first half of the season. And he had called a fastball inside. And for me, 
I wanted to make sure that I had Travis move his feet. So I, you don't try to hit a guy in that situation, but I ultimately wanted him to move off the plate to know like, okay, you're not going to take a swing like that again. Cause then, then I was going to come back with a sinker away and he would hopefully just ground off ground ball, hit a ground ball. So I threw it side pretty hard. I was pretty fired up and uh, I wound up hitting him pretty good. Um, even though it wasn't intentional, I didn't realize that both teams had already had warnings against us because Delgado had gotten hit a couple of times and there was, I didn't even think of that. I was like, not even thinking of that. And I got tossed as soon as I hit him and I was on the mound. I remember thinking, I mean, I still don't have the video of this. I want, I'm trying to get a copy of this video because I, I want to see it again. Cause I remember thinking to myself, hey, what's going on? I'm throwing out a game. I don't even know what to do. Like, I didn't even know how to, how, I didn't know what to do. I'd never been thrown out of a game before. And the bench is almost cleared. And I, and I was still like, I just hit the guy. Why am I getting tossed? And it was because after a home run and, but people don't realize it was the second pitch of the bat. It wasn't the first pitch. Yet. So I get tossed and I, I go sit in the dugout and I'm sitting there and sitting next to Jose Cruz Jr. He's like, he's kind of like looking at me like, are you kidding me right now? And he's like, you have to go back in the clubhouse. You can't stay in the dugout. I'm like, I don't know what to do. I never <laughs> got tossed it before. I had no idea what to do. And I'm kind of like, I had a, like a grin on my face. I remember getting booed off the field in Philadelphia. Like the boos were so loud. I'm like, this is, I look back on this. I remember thinking at the time, like, this is awesome because I remember this is Philly. This is, I'm one of these fans. Like I would be doing the same thing. It was so loud in the stands. The boos were so loud. And I just remember going back up to the clubs being like, you got to be kidding me. What, what are the chances that I give on my first major league home run in Philly? And I get thrown out of my first game of my life in Philadelphia. So it's crazy. And you had, I'm guessing you had a couple mm-hmm. hundred people in the stands watching you? At least. I mean, all the guys gave me all their tickets. Each guy would get six tickets apiece. I mean, I must have left hundreds of tickets every night. I mean, hundreds. College, high school, friends, family. I mean, that's what I always said. I'm like, if there was a bench clearing brawl, I look back at this. I'm like, you're telling me my dad's going to sit behind the plate and let me get pummeled on the mound by people? I'm like, <laughs> it would have been mayhem. Like, all my college friends, they would just sat there. There's no way. There's just no way. It, I look back and I'm like, it would have been complete mayhem. I'm, I'm like, I'm glad, uh, glad, glad things didn't get crazy. But, um, but yeah, I mean, the longer I'm away from it, it's been almost 20 years now. I mean, it's it's which is crazy to me. I can remember it vividly each 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 moment of those games. Um, so it's just just great memories now. So you have a, a phenomenal rookie season, one of the best rookies in baseball. I think he ended up making 60 appearances. Uh, then injuries start to take mm-hmm. a toll and it am i correct it was not like a chronic problem it was all you, you seem to struggle with different things at different times well i mean it all stemmed from a couple from one injury um the following spring i got hurt in spring training i hurt my rib cage i tore a rib cage muscle and part of it like i mean i, I again being the over analyzer and analyzing everything i'm looking back on it and understanding having coach pitching understanding in the moment i didn't realize what was going on but i looking back on it i mean you know, I wish I knew then what I know now, right? Um, I tore a ribcage muscle, but I started throwing a split finger or a um, a fork ball, split finger, fastball, whatever you want to call it. I started throwing that, so I started changing some things, not realizing mechanically. I wanted to – I didn't strike out a whole lot of hitters at the major league level. I was getting a lot of contact, and I always wanted to get better. So I wanted, like, a put-away pitch. So that's – and my changeup wasn't it. So somebody had taught me a little bit of a split finger, and I was playing around with that, and it was pretty good. But what I didn't realize, it was it was it was – it was evolving my delivery into something it shouldn't have been. And I was, I was doing different things with my body. And ultimately I tore a ribcage muscle at the time. I didn't know it was because of that. 
Um, but then I tried to pitch through that. I came back too early. The Philadelphia person in me coming back way too early, not being naive about how beginning. And then I wind up the chronic shoulder injury crept up on me because I kind of kept pitching through this, not knowing what was causing it. And ultimately, um, I wound up tearing my labrum and having a labrum tearing my shoulder all stem from probably coming back to it early from that rib cave, rib cave injury. And then, um, kind of things snowball from there a little bit. And I kind of came back from it when I probably should have had surgery sooner. I came back a little too soon, especially in the big leagues um, for a couple of appearances that year. And then um, ultimately had the surgery in 2002 that winter. I probably waited too long. And then uh, 2003, I was, I was still in the big league roster 2003. So I got a year of service time, but uh, ultimately I was mostly doing rehab starts and, and rehab uh, appearances and, and kind of coming back from that um, doing pretty well. Um, but I had to like basically reinvent myself as a pitcher because I, I mean, the fastball wasn't nowhere near 93 to 94 miles an hour. Like it used to be with more 90, 91 with some late movement, but not as good as it was before. So I kind of had to rely on those mental aspects of the game and, and try to reinvent myself as a pitcher to, if I ever wanted to pitch in big leagues again. You did get back in 2004. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the Blue Jays let you go. You got a shot mm-hmm. with the Cardinals in spring training. What was, where were you health wise? And did you hurt? Is that when you hurt your back? Yeah, yeah. I, um, ultimately, I pitched well enough to get back to the Blue Jays in 2004. I actually was, I got, a, I got a, the Blue Jays comeback player of the year that year from the local sports writers, which was kind of cool considering I was nowhere near the pitcher I used to be. And I knew that I was a super two, I was arbitration eligible. And I knew with my ERA, and they could call up a, a rookie. They, I mean, why would they pay me when they knew my stuff was you know, average at the major league level at best. So I knew that they were going to release me and they released me. And when they did, I had a lot of teams call, which was kind of cool. Um, I ultimately came down to Tampa Bay or the St. Louis Cardinals for me as my early free agent. The reason I signed up the Cardinals was looking at the type of pitcher I was. I looked at the AL East versus the NL Central and the types of hitters versus that I would be facing. And I knew that my pitching style being a ground ball, strictly a ground ball picture now, Versus the AL East with those boppers, they had those lineups throughout the you know early 2000s that were stacked between Boston and and you know Tampa Bay, Toronto, even and the Yankees. I figured in the AL Central is more of a you know hit and run type, steal bases type of uh, hitters where I might have more success against the National League. And in the National League game, you had the hitter, the pitcher hitting. So I I just thought my game might lend itself to that. And plus, the Cardinals had notorious they had a notorious reputation of giving guys a chance. That no matter who you were, I mean, they, they were notorious. I mean, La Russa was notorious for that, and they were they were a World Series caliber team, so they they were they were top notch. So I figured, and their spring training was in Florida, where I was familiar. There was a lot of things that came into play, but ultimately, I signed as a free agent with with St. Louis and and made it through spring training to the end. And it was me, um, Mike Jarvis, I think it was, and, or Kevin Jarvis and Mike, uh, Bill Pulse for for the last position in the bullpen. And again, I wasn't. I wasn't the pitcher I was. I, I wasn't. I knew it would be a struggle to stay in the big leagues with what I had. I just knew it, I, and I wanted to stay in the big leagues. I didn't want to pitch in, in the minor leagues and kind of just make zero money and just kind of grind it out. I just knew physically what you need to pitch in the big leagues long term, and I just didn't know if I had that. And ultimately, I, I herniated the disc two days before uh, spring training broke. Um, just lifting light weights, nothing crazy. It just again, just freak incident that was underlying issue was there it just happened then and ultimately i was uh optioned to memphis their triple a affiliate 
where I had asked for my release because they were not going to pay me my minor league salary, uh, which they can do to minor league players that people might not know. They cannot pay you at all um, because you're not in a union and you're not under contract that's binding. So ultimately they decided not to pay me. And I just said, you know, instead of staying in Memphis, doing my rehab there, you know, I didn't know when I would pitch again. I'd said, you know, let's, let's ask for my release. I'll do my rehab and my, my therapy at home in Philly. And we'll see where, and I'll see where I'm at after that. Did uh, you get any calls past that or was that uh, the last? I had connection? a couple, a couple calls. Uh, my agent was really working hard. I mean, he wanted me to play again because he looked at my, I mean, my last outing officially was against Baltimore in the big leagues. And he said, you know, he, he said, you know, you have to give it some more, more of a chance. And, Ultimately, I rehabbed my back in Philly um, locally. I played in I played a few games in the in the Pendel local men's league just to side, kind of see physically where I was um, for a friend of mine, um, Mike Whitaker for the Loma Loma baseball team, the great Loma baseball team in the Pendel league uh, locally. A lot of folks know what that league is, and uh, I just knew I knew I was interviewing for some jobs in the uh, in the pharmaceutical space, and I just said. If I get a job opportunity, I'll take it and I'll decide where I'm at. And I just knew, I just knew I got a job with AstraZeneca Pharmaceuticals and I took that job and I was three months out of spring training and I took the job. It was a great opportunity to start my next career. And, um, I just knew pitching in the men's league that, yeah, this, this, I don't have the stuff to get big league hitters out. I just don't have it. And I I just, you know, I made, I made a little bit of money playing in the big leagues and I didn't want to, you know, blow that all away on, on playing payment in the minor leagues. And I figured it's time to time to try to move on. Did you ever consider trying to reinvent yourself as a hitter, given how good you were at it in college and, and what now kind of what you knew about how the sausage was made in pro baseball? Yeah, no, I mean, Ben McClure to scout the made a good point when he was signing. He said, listen, he's like, I, I like you as a hitter. He's like, I think your tools and your makeup will get you as far as double A as a hitter. And having played at those levels, he was spot on in my opinion, like to play every day at the double A level as a hitter. I compared my skill set to what I faced and the guys I was up against, like the guys I played with, like Mike Young, Cesar Torres, like these guys were, I mean, big league, long time, big league players. And um, I mean, I'm not even close to the hitter. Those guys were, I mean, the, the, the differences are so drastic, even though maybe I'm not giving myself enough credit as well, but at the same time, I just know my whole goal was to play the big league level for a long period of time. If you, if you get there, the hardest part, people say it all the time is staying there the hardest part is getting there and then the hardest part is staying there and um that's definitely the case like i always say close friend of mine jeff fry played almost 10 years in the big leagues and i'm like to play 10 years in the big leagues is just amazing to me like i played a couple of years and it's it was so hard to stay healthy so hard to go through that grind as a pitcher a bullpen pitcher at that to be a everyday hitter everyday position player and knowing what it takes yeah no chance plus i had to take bp with st louis for the first time in seven years um, and I had to learn how to bunt with like um, the greats like Jose Akendo taught me how to bunt, which was a great, I remember stepping in the cage for the first time in seven years because with Toronto, we never took batting practice. And I remember trying to bunt against the, I'm like, oh, I used to hit, I can bunt easily. And I remember like the first 10 pitches blew past me and I didn't even hit it with the bat. I was like, what is going, I couldn't even, I couldn't believe it. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. So I was like, yeah, my hitting days are way over. And um, so ultimately, yeah, I probably could practice, become a serviceable hitter in the Pendel League. But ultimately, uh, yeah, from from like a, doing like a Rick Ankiel, who I play with, that that's just amazing that a guy can go from pitching to being a hitter in the big leagues. That's just unheard of. Um, 
the amount of skill and talent level is just, I mean, you're talking off the chart stuff. So you, you're done baseball, you have a job, it's in the area you studied, you're able to make a pretty smooth transition, but how, at those first few years, are you comfortable with the decision? Is there still an itch? Are you, or is there any anger for, you know, that you got cut short for, for injury, stuff like that? Or how long did it take for you before you were completely at peace with your baseball career? Yeah. I mean, it took a while. I mean, ultimately when I first started working, it was, it was tough. It was tough to watch any major league baseball. That was for sure. I mean, it was hard at first because a lot of the guys I played with and against were still playing. Um, and just making the transition to, you know, your typical, so to say nine to five type corporate atmosphere. It was just different. I mean, the one thing that really helped me though, was just the, the grind and the work ethic of the everyday baseball life. I mean, you know, people look at it from a, from a big league perspective, like, yeah, real tough staying in five-star hotels and everything like that. But, um, the minor leagues, not like, and not having weekends off ever and not, not having any downtime. I mean, I really dove into my work like I did with baseball. So it was 24 seven for me. So I had a lot of success early on with, with my working career just because of work ethic alone and just really trying to learn everything possible I could and kind of really digging into everything. So it, it, the first couple of years were tough from a baseball perspective, but I think ultimately I got, I got, kind of got, kind of got back into baseball. I started, I went back for my master's degree at LaSalle university and uh, probably about seven, eight years ago. And then I coached a little bit there and kind of, kind of turned the page a little bit. And a lot of the players I played against in the big leagues were out of the game coaching now or doing whatever. So it was easier to, to get back into watching and, Ultimately, um, the, the longer longer out on that, almost 20 years, I mean, it's my first big league season, but the longer away from the game in that aspect, the professional game makes me appreciate, like the college game, for example. I love the college baseball game. So, um, so yeah, it was ch- challenging at first, but it's, uh, I'm at peace with it. I've, have, I've had a pretty successful corporate life now, um, which is like my next endeavor. So uh, that's been my focus for the past, at least the past 15, 20 years. Bob File, thanks so much for being our guest this week. Thanks, Matt. Always a pleasure. And that will do it for this week's episode of One on One. Want to thank Bob File for being our guest this week. If you like the podcast, want to help us out, and you listen on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and a review. You can follow the show on Twitter at One on One Pod. You can follow me on Twitter as well at Matt Leon Ten Sixty. Thanks so much for listening, and we will have another conversation with someone you should know more about next week.